this we we had watched the movie with honors and we were talking about Moira kelly what how she, she was this incredible performer and like what else has she been in and then we started talking about the cutting edge and we were like oh we should really watch the cutting edge and um it just hasn't stopped yeah uh, no, I know. it's grown in scope and scale <laughs> to a level that's i don't quite... think it ever needs to end i don't think i don't see an end in sight actually yeah no there's I'm with no you, tony thank oh, you for oh, believe me yeah my, my feelings i want to yeah. i want to relaunch this into a um, anyway, well, it's very weird, and um, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, uh, that's what we're saying. No, man, for, and so. you work so hard on it. It's just, uh, I'm just so curious. It's just, uh, yeah, it's just fantastic. And I did because I'm on strike, and because I've been on the road, I've actually just, uh, I've had more opportunity. I've listened to more of it than I care to admit. Willing to rewatch a movie. Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. Please don't aggregate this. Lillard, long range three. Their defense is atrocious. I'm sort of the rock star. Tiso is the official watch of the NBA. Everybody who listens to this podcast knows how I feel about aggregation. I'm oddly intrigued by neck tattoos. You know, we love China. We love no playing there. It comes a dunk. Shut up and listen. You think you're better than me? <laughs> Swish FM, Chris Mundelkin, Ben Craw, Christian Lynch. We're back with another episode of The Rewindables. We're now several weeks months i don't i lose track into a rewatch of the 1992 film the cutting edge starring db sweeney and moira kelly ben christian our guest today is the film's writer tony gilroy yeah this what? is this is a <laughs> remarkable moment for us all how how is how has this happened tony is a um is a well-accomplished filmmaker he he's written all sorts of things including the devil's advocate he's written the born films a few of the born films he's directed Michael Clayton, Duplicity. He's worked on the Star Wars franchise. Unfortunately, we're not going to be discussing any of that today. It's not any of our interests. No, the primary focus the of this podcast will yep. be the 1992 film, The Cutting Edge. Uh, so, Tony, thank you so much for taking a few minutes to talk. We appreciate you taking some time. How are you doing? I'm well. I'm, I'm on, as I told you just before, I'm on strike. So this is uh, this came at a, at a really opportune moment. So uh, uh I'm fascinated by what you're doing and uh, fascinated by the deep dive. And like I told you before, I've listened to more of this than I care to admit. So uh, I have <laughs> not rewatched the hear film. This. I have not rewatched the film. Unsettled? Uh, no, I swear. No, you should be a little unnerved. You should yeah. be a little bit. Uh, this is ludicrous, by the way, to, to be hearing this these words from your mouth. But yeah. <laughs> I know. No, I, I wanted. No, I, I thought that this would be a good. Uh, a good meta uh, wake-up call for the three of you. Mm. Um, let's see. I have not watched the film, I, but uh, but you've walked me so thoroughly through it. Um, right. I, I think I have a better understanding of it than I did when I was making <laughs> your it. Own. When you yeah. literally wrote it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think, I, I, I mean, I've learned so much. Let's start here with the sort of the origin story of The Cutting right. Edge for us and for you. So for me, I will tell you, like, I grew up watching The Cutting Edge as a boy. Like, I can vividly recall watching this movie with some friends, boys that I grew up with who I would play ice hockey with and two-hand touch football with. And for us, this was like a fun sports movie that also had some serious stuff about it too. And then watching it today through adult eyes, it's very clearly like a romantic comedy. So I'm curious 
Like, was this something that you were intentionally doing, trying to write a film that sort of appealed both to men and women? Was that by design? How did this come about? Man, I was trying to get a movie made. I was really all about getting a movie made and I had I was I was making a living. I had just started making a living. Uh I started right making a living in 86 when we went on strike the first time and I got wiped out. But I was making a living but nothing was getting made. And um you know and uh, a guy named Robert Court Interscope was a hugely influential film producing uh, studio ted field owned it back in the 80s and 90s and if you look at their track record it's just astonishing the movies they made uh wildly successful and this guy robert court really ran that company and he was a marketing guy primarily he had been in the cia and he had been a uh gone to wharton and he was really a great advertising guy who got in the movie business and just a really a really sweet uh really smart dude i had written a script called rsvp which was an original script about a couple that's about to get married and they invite the president to their wedding in a drunken moment and then they forget about it and they end up falling. They end up having this huge explosion. Their families hate each other. It was total 80s rom-com. And then the president, of course, decides to attend. And, and it's, it's sort of a Preston, Preston Sturgis meets John Hughes meets, you know, the 80s. Um, and, I, and it got me a lot of attention. It was a very good, uh, was a very good sample. A lot of people read it and uh, never it didn't get made in that in that context. But Robert Court read yeah. it and he came to me and he said, uh, hey, man, he goes, uh, there's a pattern. I don't know what the number is, but like every six years or every eight years, there has to be an, a skating movie. It's always a hit. It's always a hit. We're due for a skating movie. I love this huh. other movie you wrote. He goes, I want to do Taming of the Shrew on Ice. And uh, if you write that movie for me, you know, I'll make it. And I was like, man, it was not. It wasn't what I it wasn't what I had imagined I would be would be doing. Um, <laughs> but he was really cool and he was really serious and powerful. And um, I just dug in. And my entire goal on that whole film was to get the movie made and not get fired and stay all the way through, which is a very unusual thing to do. Let me tell you, when you're I mean, that was my first credit. I was I was a little too old. I was 36 because I, I spent a lot of time doing other stuff. I had a kid. I had a six-year-old kid. I was I was hustling. And uh, and he, you know, that was it. Taming of the Shrew on Ice. And so we started going out and doing research. That was my entree. I knew nothing wow. about figure skating. Nothing at all. I mean, uh, to visualize this for the audience, literally uh, two heads of the Swish FM just exploded. <laughs> yeah. In what way? Why, why is that surprising? In what sense? I think I think just in general, you know, uh, the reference to Team Industry when you say it aloud makes complete sense. But oh, yeah, when yeah. when you're looking at it as just like hockey and figure skater, it's kind of masked in such a subtle way that that didn't you don't go, oh, Shakespeare. Like you don't you don't think that's where we're referencing. Oh, that it was to. Absolutely primary motivation. And I bet I went out and I studied Taming of the Shrew after that. I know. I, I mean, at one point I knew a lot about it. I'm curious, based on the Taming of the Shrew, it's something that I kind of noted too, was the kind of patter between the two characters, Doug and Kate, to me kind of had a very Catherine Hepburn, Spencer Tracy sort of uh, rapport. I mean, beyond Taming of the Shrew, what else were you personally kind of like thinking about when you were building those two characters and like kind of their antagonistic relationship? Man, I'm... I'm, you, you, I'm I'm working it out here. I'm, I've never heard actors speak my dialogue before. You know, I never had a movie made. I'm not a playwright. Uh, I'd had I'd had a pilot done. Uh, or I'd had an episode of a television show that had done. It was the first time I'd heard actors speak my words. Uh, we'd made some short films, my brothers and I. 
but I was very green about production and, and about what it really meant. So you're watching me in this movie and as you're watching me figure everything out, a lot of things, try to figure a lot of things out and you're watching me very hard try to, who am I emulating? Uh, the big influences at that point, it's hard to, it's hard to uh, imagine how big Preston Sturgis, the resurgence of Preston Sturgis in the, in the eighties and nineties for the rom-com world, for that kind of environment. That was kind of the, that was kind of the benchmark. You go back and look at those films. Give him some ham and eggs. Yes, ma'am. Well, it's very kind of you, sister, but I'm not hungry. A cup of coffee and a sinker will fix me up fine. Don't be a sucker. Give him some ham and eggs. Way I'm fixed, 35 cents isn't gonna make any difference. Here. Thanks. Things a little tough, huh? Wouldn't be sitting in an owl wagon for local color. They locked me out of my room. Oh, that's too bad. Well, things are tough everywhere. War in Europe, strikes over here, there's no work, there's no food. Drink your coffee while it's hot. What'd they lock you out of your room for? Did I ask you any questions? I'm sorry. Sorry. You've been in Hollywood long? Long enough. Trying to crash the movies or something? Something like that. I guess that's pretty hard to do. Huh? I guess so. I never got close enough to find out. Oh, sorry. Say, who's being sorry for who? Am I buying you the eggs or are you buying me the eggs? I'd just like to repay you for them. All right. Give me a letter of introduction to Lubitsch. I might be able to do that, too. Who's Lubitsch? Drink your coffee. Can you act? What'd you say? I said, can you act? Sure, I can act. Would you like me to give you a recitation? Go ahead. Skip it. My next act will be an impersonation of a young lady going home on the thumb. In that outfit? How about your own outfit? Oh, I mean, haven't you got a car? No, have you? No, but... Then don't get ritzy. And I'll tell you some other things I haven't got. I haven't got a yacht or a pearl necklace or a fur coat or a country seat or even a winter seat. I could use a new girdle, too. I wish I could give you some of the things you need. <laughs> you wouldn't be trying to lead me astray, would you? You know, the nice thing about buying food for a man is that you don't have to laugh at his jokes. Just think, if you were some big shot like a casting director or something, I'd be staring into your bridgework saying, yes, Mr. Smearcase, no, Mr. Smearcase, not really, Mr. Smearcase. Oh, Mr. Smearcase, that's my knee. Give Mr. Smearcase another cup of coffee, make it two. All the classics, it was really a return to classic banter, you know, and, and you know, I'm trying to figure out how to do that without making it twee or how to do that without making it sound lame or like you're reaching mm. too hard. Or, and, I, and, you know, there's just so many cringeable moments for me in the film. But then there's also some things that, you know, as it gets towards the end, I, you, you could see me. I feel myself at the end in some of the final scenes when they get really unpleasant and aggressive and confrontational. I feel my later I feel my my uh my later life coming into view just in terms of of like the the cynicism of the characters you mean or or the kind of jadedness that they No, that they... just in my no, no, and just in my understanding of behavior and how important it mm. is that people really want something and fight for it and and how and how conflict is really where it's at and um and and that in conflict people tend to say what they mean. If I'll say we're not right for each other because the way I see it, we might not be right for anybody else. Shut up a minute! It can't be any harder to stay together than it was to stay apart. Will you wait a minute? Kate, I need you. I need you. 
Or if there's not saying what they mean, and I don't know. I, I I just listened to your other the new episode, the the one you yeah. just dropped, and I and I was I was kind of running myself down listening to the rest of it, going like, oh my god, oh my god. But I listened to that scene, the last scene where they fight, and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, in the show, my, so. I, yeah, and I hear myself in there. Today it's about a button. You people are all excuses. You want to point oh, a god finger? Damn son of a bitch. Gotta find that go-to guy. You should have started with a go-to girl, Jack. All right, that cuts it. He's right. What? He's right. He is. All of it. We worked so hard for two years. And I just went and threw it all away. Why'd you stay with me? Kate, don't. Don't what? Tell the truth? We can't buy back what happened today. We can't start over. Do you think I look at myself, at what I've become, and do you think I'm proud? What do you want? I don't know. I guess I would like to go back to the beginning and have you say, win or lose, I could just be your daughter. I hear my, I hear my 35 years later self in there a little bit, yeah. Oh, it's an incredible scene, yeah. I'm yeah, trying to no, figure that's... it out. It's a young writer trying to get through. I mean, that's pretty, pretty impressive, I'd say, uh, to be to be figuring it out and deliver a, a you know, a product like that. Um, when you when you talk about, you know, the, the kind of banter, another writer that comes to mind, um, you know, like one of my favorite writers of all time and uh, one of my favorite movies of all time is Butch Cassidy. And I think of like the banter between Butch and yeah. Sundance. Kid. The next time I say let's go someplace like Bolivia, let's go someplace like Bolivia. Next time. Ready? No, we'll jump. Like hell we will. No, it'll be okay. The water's deep enough we don't get squished to death. He'll never follow us. How do you know? Would you make a jump like that and you didn't have to? I have to and I'm not gonna. Well, we got to, otherwise we're dead. They're just going to have to go back down the same way they come. Come on. Just one clear shot. That's all I come want. Come on. Uh-uh. We got to. Up. Get away from me. Why? I want to fight them. They'll kill us. Maybe. You want to die? Do you? All right. I'll jump first. No. Nope. Then you jump first. No, I said. What's the matter with you? I can't swim. <laughs> Why are you crazy? The fall will probably kill you. mistaken did you did you study under william goldman i've known bill since i was 12 years old so my relationship with bill went during my entire life so he was a friend of my father's and he was uh then he was someone i wanted to like him you know get next to then he was a mentor then he was a colleague and then i then, you know i mean i've had my relationship with bill was um uh, was extraordinary so yeah but i mean yeah there were a lot of people that could do that then and and uh and, and i mean it, 
Bad, you see it all the time. I mean, friends, what is friends? Friends is banter. What is, I mean, most sitcom, I mean, it's a really, um, I like to think that I can still, I mean, every now and then I'll get into a scene or I can have a chance to do it again. And it's a, it's dangerous territory though, uh, because it, it gets, it gets, it gets, it gets wrong really fast. Yeah. If it's not, it's a really fine on, line to walk. It really yeah. is. It really is. And you need the, and you need the instruments to play on it. And, um, I mean, there, is there a better movie anywhere in terms of dialogue than, than uh, His Girl Friday? Well, well. How long is it? How long is what? You know what? How long is it since we've seen each other? Oh, well, let's see. Uh, I spent six weeks in Reno, then Bermuda, about four months, I guess. Seems like yesterday to me. Maybe it was yesterday, Hildy. Been seeing me in your dreams? Oh, no, Mama doesn't dream about you anymore, Wally. You wouldn't know the old girl now. Ah, uh, yes, I would. I'd know you any time, any, any place. Anywhere. Ah, oh, you're repeating yourself, Walter. That's the speech you made the night you proposed. Yeah, I know that you still remember it. Of course, I remember it. If I didn't remember it, I wouldn't have divorced you. Yes, I wish you hadn't done that, Hilly. Done what? Divorce me. Makes a fellow lose all faith in himself. Gives him a... Almost gives him a feeling he wasn't wanted. Oh, now, look, Junior, that's what divorces are for. Nonsense. You've got an old-fashioned idea. Divorce is something that lasts forever, till death do us part. Why, divorce doesn't mean anything nowadays, Hildy. Just a few words mumbled over you by a judge. We've got something between us nothing can change. Mm, well, I suppose you're right in a way, Walter. Sure, I'm right. I am fond of you, you know. And a girl? I often wish you weren't such a stinker. Yeah. Latin, I suppose. You must come up and meet my mother. She'd like that. Then why that on earth phrase. did you promise not to fight the divorce and do everything you possibly could to gum up the whole works? Well, I meant to let you go, Hildy, but you know how it is. You never miss the water till the well runs dry. Oh, a big fat oh. lummox <laughs> like you hiring an aeroplane to write. Hildy, don't be hasty. Remember my dimple, Walter. Delayed our divorce 20 minutes while the judge went out to watch it. Well, I don't want to brag, but I've still got the dimple and in the same place. Look, Hildy, I only acted like any husband who didn't want to see his home broken up. What home? What home? Don't you remember the home I promised you? Sure I do. That was the one we were to have right after the honeymoon. <laughs> that honeymoon. Oh, was it my fault? Did I know that coal mine was going to have another cave-in? I intended to be with you on our honeymoon, Hildy. Honest, I did. All I know is that instead of two weeks in Atlantic City with my bridegroom, I spent two weeks in the coal mine with John Krupski. You don't deny that, do you, Walter? Deny it? I'm proud of it. We beat the whole country on that story. Well, suppose we did. That isn't what I got married for. Oh, what is the good of... Look, now, look, Walter. What I came up here to tell you is that you must stop phoning me a dozen times uh -huh. a day, sending me 20 telegrams. I write a beautiful telegram, don't I? Everybody says so. Are you going to listen to what I have to say? Look, look, what's the use of fighting, Hildy? I'll tell you what you do. You come back to work on the paper. What? If we find we can't get along in a friendly fashion, we'll get married again. I was literally just, we were, so Chris and Christian and I were, uh, you know, just kind of powwowing before we started recording. And I literally name dropped that specific movie because I was like, yeah, it reminds me of that too. The, you know, the, the crackling kind of like ping pong back and forth. And it's the same, yeah, same, you but know. everybody's like on fire. Everybody's on fire. And the, the timing is perfect. Everybody's on the dialogue. But, you know, um, but again, that was a play. They had a chance to rehearse it. Uh, yeah. This, was, this is a movie. This is a low budget movie we're making. Kind of. So I feel movie. like so much of the dialogue from The Cutting Edge reminds me of a play. Like, and you really allow your characters and your actors to express themselves with their words. 
And I'm wondering, like, you know, and, and so many of the relationships really pop on screen because they have the, the characters, the actors have such great language to use. Were you involved in any of the casting for The Cutting Edge? I mean, yes. the, the performances pop and everything just seems so seamless. So maybe can you tell us a little bit about seeing Moira Kelly, seeing... Wow, well, I man, you're actually, you're like. reminding me of something I haven't really thought of in a very long time. And I know you guys were obsessed with Moira. Um, this is actually, I mean, I learned, I, I mean, I, I was here to just learn and hang on. And like, I, I can't tell you how much I wanted to, uh, stay involved in the show and, uh, and, uh, and see it through and Robert and Paul as well. And Paul was such a sweet dude. I went to the casting. I was involved in the casting and, um, the casting for, for Doug's side was much more of a, there was a much more of a list you know, it was a real list and it was working that list. And I don't remember what the list was or how it went or whatever. But I remember we cast for 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 Moira's part. And I remember we were, I think we were in the ICM building, the old ICM building on 57th Street. And we were in all day. And I'd never been in casting sessions like that. And they were literally marathons. I think we saw like 25 young women before lunch. And then, and then we broke for lunch and went to the Russian tea room or did some shit. And then came back, and you're in a room. You know, it's me and Bob and and um, uh, who was the woman who was there was a uh, a woman who was very important. Who was I can't remember her name. Uh, and and Paul was there, and probably a casting assistant. And the women come in, and they're reading these scenes. This is the first time I've been hearing my scenes. And um, at the end of the day, near the end of the day, a woman comes in, and she does her thing, and she leaves, and the door closes, and they all explode. They're like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And uh, I missed it. I hmm. absolutely missed it. I was tired. I was, I don't know what I was. It's its haunted me. It, it, I, I can't tell you how many casting sessions I've been in, in the rest of my life since that point. But uh, I was like, what? What is this? What? And I mean, and I just missed it in the room. And that's a very bad, sad thing. That's a lesson you want to, there, there's a lesson to learn right away. And they were just absolutely right. Uh, she came back and and uh, and she wasn't just you know uh, she wasn't just a, a an un- unusual presence because she's an unusual presence, don't you think? I mean, really, she, she hadn't yeah. done very much. I think she'd done Billy Bathgate, or maybe she had done. I don't know what she'd done. The first one I ever did was a film called The Boy Who Cried Bitch. Pretty drastic title. Um, it's a, a story about a, a true story about a young boy who, at the age of twelve. Um, he grew up in a, a single-parent home, and his mother couldn't handle. He was a hyperactive child, and she couldn't handle him. So she put him away in different institutions, which he kept getting kicked out of. Um, the last in- institution he was kicked out of, they sent him home. And within a matter of being home two weeks, he shot his- and killed his mother. It was a very violent and sort of drastic story, but um, it was true, and, and in a sense, it sort of needed to be told. And in that one, I played a 12-year-old manic depressive in uh, one of the institutions, which at the time I was 22 years old. She was a really unusual flavor. She had a really well, strong twin, spirit. Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me was that way after? later. Way later. later, yeah. Way okay, later. Right, right, right. right. And, um, She's both like, has like an incredible fire and then also raw vulnerability mm-hmm. where you look right into her eyes and be like, oh, this is someone that is deeply hurt and vulnerable and scared and she just she's, she's also tough man she's tough she also yeah, has yeah. A, she's tough and she 
She's also a really great athlete. She, when they got her out in skating, she took the skating training incredibly seriously. And my memory is that after a month, they were like, oh my God, if you'd given us this girl two years ago, we could have done anything with her. I had met with uh, Paul Glazier and auditioned for him. And he wanted me to come back for a callback, but I had to skate for him at Rockefeller Center, which I did not know how to do at the time. So my brother, who was big on hockey, took me out and showed me a few things. And I went down to the rink and found that going backwards, I was great, but forward, I was pitiful. Going into the audition, what was most important was convincing Paul that I had the emotional understanding of this character and that I could portray her and then let us work out crossing the bridge of skating when we had to come to it. This was the second, maybe second project, big project I was going to work on. So I felt great pressure to to do a very good job. She could skate, you know. She she was since she broke her, she she injured herself um, during the shooting. But I missed it. So uh, that, there's a there's a there's a, a little voice in the back of my head all the time. You want to well, really be... make sure that no, you want to no, man, you want to. I mean, it was you your really first want... time, Tony. Don't don't be too yeah, hard yeah, yourself, honestly. you know? No, but that's what you're, no, but that's what you're supposed to take away. That's what you're, so it was a lot of uh, incredibly educational experience. But, yeah. No, I was there when it happened, and I missed it. Yeah. Now, an interesting thing that I, I find sports films, in particular, very difficult to pull off from a storytelling perspective and a writing perspective. I was reading Ron Shelton's book on making Bull Durham called The Church of Baseball. You should read I've read it. it. I've read it's it. It's great. I yes, have read I, it. It's a fantastic. I'm just saying to our listeners, if you have any interest in filmmaking and great writing, Ron Shelton's book is is really really wonderful. But he talked about the difficulty of writing a sports film, and he was saying, "I didn't. I intentionally didn't put too many scenes in an actual baseball setting because anything you write is not going to be anywhere close to as good or dramatic as an actual game." I, I found this film fascinating of how you do not shy away from th- our actors and our lead cast, Doug and Kate constantly having scenes in physical ice skating settings. Were you aware of the challenges that you were writing on the page or, or, as, or were you just young and being like, this is the best way to tell this story? Uh, I think we were going for as much as we could get. I think there was probably, and I can't really remember, I'm sure there was a lot of tailoring of what we could get away with, what we could do and not do. I remember being incredibly disappointed. We were all very disappointed that we didn't have the money to do the competitive skating in bright light. You know, to to, to mm. make the Olympics dark. I mean, the Olympics are. I mean, competitive figure skating is lights on, and the idea that we were going to have to like, you know, do darkness and follow spots and do this cheesy thing. Uh, crowd tiling had not been invented at that point. I don't know if you know <laughs> what yeah. crowd tiling is. Crowd tiling sure. had not been invented, or the inflatable. I don't think. I think this predates the inflatable doll. Uh, way of filling up a stadium but there was no way to fill up a stadium and turn on the lights and um cardboard cutouts being incredibly incredibly disappointed about the fact that we were going to have to cheat the veracity of that um but that's so funny because uh, i always assumed that was an intentional thing on paul michael glazer's part because the lighting right. reminded me so much of the running man like so many of the scenes are like the same like spotlight kind of cool like dark shadowy stuff i'm like oh i guess that's just like a glazer thing but i guess not this was not an expensive film this is a b movie i mean really let's be honest it was a it was a programmer (laughs) a programmer really right as they say um but i don't remember uh i was in toronto for a lot a a lot of the uh, a lot of the pre-production a lot of it so I, i was doing a lot of tailoring so i'm sure i was i'm sure i was cutting uh cutting and 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 
and shaping based around what they thought they could get and, and, and how they could do it. One question that I'm just curious about, too, is that this uh, character of Doug is from uh, the town of Mayhorn. He's a Minnesota machine, <laughs> man from yes. Mayhorn. Doug Dorsey, of course, the phenom oh from Mayhorn, Minnesota. What a super story, bud. Here's a junior from Minnesota State. You talk about being on the fast track. There are at least 12 NHL clubs that would love to have him on their roster before the season's over. Just an incredible young athlete. If you haven't seen him before, you're in for a real treat this afternoon. No question about it. We're talking about one of the finest skaters in amateur hockey today. There was a piece this week. One of the writers called him the Minnesota Machine. The other, the other, the other towns in the film are real, but Mayhorn is not real. What's the origin story of Mayhorn? Why Mayhorn? Man, I don't know the answer to that. I know I, mean, I, I was a musician for a long time, and when I I played in a band in Boston, and this group came from uh, Minnesota, uh, and they were friends of uh, guys in a, that I was in a band with, and they were called New Heavenly Blue, and they just came in, and they were these amazing musicians, and they were from Mankato, uh, Minnesota, and I remember pl- playing with them, and I remember these two brothers that were in the band. So I don't know Mankato. I don't. I just. I have no idea why. What's amazed me about the podcast is that, I don't know, are you guys going to do a whole Blades of Glory thing to this or not? Possibly. Uh, I mean, possibly. Yeah. I mean... I don't know. We're, we're honestly less... We're open. We, we we're never open set to out to, to do a, a figure skating movie or a, or any ice yeah, skating no. movie. We, we just it was just something about the cutting edge. Um, it's, right. And honestly, yeah. Tony, it's one week at a time. It's it's yeah. really like I don't know, it's... man. I like I love Blades of Glory. I loved it when I saw it. Every time it's on, right. I keep going back to it. And I and I uh, I know that Revisited. the people who made it are shy about talking about cutting edge, but I'm not shy about talking about Blades of Glory. Well, I know they were deeply influenced by the cutting edge. I mean, the story itself. I think they wanted to go right up to the line and then they didn't. Sure. I made it. I knew you would. Let's capture the dream. Capture the I love it. Where'd you come up with that? I have no idea where I came up with it. Cool. Let's kick some ice. Okay. Scott, the boys seem to be using a science fiction theme tonight. Fitting, considering these two men may very well be the future of the sport. Well, I'll tell you something, Jim. It's like these two men did beam in from outer space to flip this sport inside out. Flash. Lights are on, and so is this crowd. Look at our Mr. Roboto to start the routine. Flash. Mayhorn, Mayhorn, I have no idea. No, Mayhorn, I, I, it's just me. Well, it's great alliteration. The Mayhorn, Minnesota machine, all, all of that is great. It is appreciated. <laughs> you know, I, I think one thing I'm curious about you, you were told, uh, you know, that the pitch to you is essentially taming of a shrew on ice. That doesn't necessarily mean it's a hockey skater meeting a figure skater. Like it could have just all been a figure skating. He had that hockey. idea. That was oh, he Robert, did. Robert Cord had that idea. Yep. That was, that was, that's, that was the gimme. Yeah. It's a hockey player becomes a Paris figure skater. Got yep. it. Got that it. was, that, that was a, that's all I had though. That's all I had. Yeah. Well, I think that leads to my kind of next question. I think this film in, you know, we've watched this and I, very serious, at least 15 to 17 times in the process of recording <laughs> this uh, podcast. I think this film obviously deals with sexuality throughout. It's about Doug and Kate. But the character of Doug is obviously throughout this film, it's a masculine hockey skater having trouble coming to grips with being in a feminine sport. 
He's worried at times of even basically telling his family that he's doing this uh, this feminine activity. So obviously, like the storyline of like homophobia, homosexuality is there. How how did you approach that? I mean, it's obviously a subtext. Um, did you ever want to push it more? Uh, was this an intent of how this character deals with kind of people's homophobic reaction to him figure skating? Was this something in your mind as you wrote it? I think it's probably pretty well calibrated. It certainly was well calibrated for the moment. I don't know how everyone would perceive it now, 30 years later, but it uh, look, it was a very, very real thing. Um I spent a lot of time researching and going out and and uh, and spent a lot of time with figure skating in the figure skating world of getting ready to do the, the to, to write the script and while I was working on it. Um, it was um, it was a phobia that the sport itself had. You know, it was a it was a it was a concern that that the sport had about what we were doing, even, you know, like, how are you going to do this? And there and there and there's a bunch of straight skaters and they were worried about, you know, hey, man, what's this going to be? What are you doing? You know, what's this going to be? And um, I don't know. I, 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 I think I'm pretty well pleased with where it landed in the calibration. I don't know how. But it really is when he comes home. Uh, you're, you're absolutely correct. When he comes back to the bar, I mean, he really is coming out. It's it's really like any coming out. uh moment would be my brother doug home from the merchant marine what you doing the merchant marine did you forget how to use the phone come on hey he's been cruising all over the world and he can't even get to the bar come on hey and send dorsey hey no 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 lieutenant captain dorsey huh cool with the uh merchant marine what i didn't join the merchant marine still got your sea legs like you work with the merchant marine where the hell were you Let's go outside and talk about this, okay? We're all family here. Tell us about it. Tell us about it. Tell me now. Come on, Machine. Well, actually, it's kind of interesting. Tell it. I've been doing a little... I've been doing a little figure skating. You You've been doing what? Finger painting? It wasn't a world that I was unfamiliar with. I'd been around a whole bunch of gay people my whole for years before that. So it was something I was I, it was it was a it was a basic fact of my life. So I think we were pretty conscious for the day. I don't we know. You think it, it's Why really it? well calibrated. No, it holds up actually really well. That- Okay. No, 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 no. The truth is it holds up beautifully because a lot of 90s, 2000s films up until late 2000s and current, including 2010s, do not handle this topic very delicately. It's uh, shocking how how well it ages, honestly. Like it's 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 really incredible, especially for the time period. Ahead um, of its time, honestly. Like we left it yeah. all being like the how it's it's subtle and there's there's really never there's not a single, you know, cheap joke in the, no, in the it's film. Very human. Um, Everyone understands like uh, the dynamic yeah. of even Walt being concerned about is it something I did? He says yeah. that to his brother. <laughs> like and but the I, way that I, Walt comes around like by the end of the scene and, and you know cracks the joke about Shay his legs was it me was it something i did i'm telling you i'm good come on doug you're a hockey player how good can you be look face it bro if you're lucky a year from now you're going to be in that snoopy costume in a friggin ice capades you know me better than that you think i spend 15 hours a day every day of the week to win some consolation prize I'm talking about an olympic gold medal it's the girl 
You're mixed up with this, this broad. That's it, isn't it? It's a great opportunity. It's figure skating. And I like it. It's a, it's a lot goddamn harder than playing hockey, I can tell you that. And the stuff we're doing, it's going to be different, Walter. The costumes, the music, everything, it's going to be different. You'll see. Are they going to make you shave your legs? Oh, screw this. I don't even know why. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. It's really shockingly, like, pr- progressive, uh, you know, from every character. And no, it's it's great. It's honestly fantastic. So it's a credit Doug to you. Never, Doug doesn't freak out, you know, he's when he's on the ice for the first time. And... Um, and uh, uh, Brian, you know, comes up and winks at him, and you know, Doug's like, "No, it's fine. Like, whatever. It's it's really like." Oh, that's pleasing. Amazing. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Yeah, it's, you, yeah, one 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 worries all the time as the career goes on. Sure, sure. sure. What have I done? No, no. Yeah. We wanted to ask you about a few different characters in the movie. I'll start with Kate's fiance Hale, who is played by the incredible Dwyer Brown. So, in a lot of ways, Hale. Uh, allows the movie to kind of go where it needs to go. So, you know, from listening on the podcast, we've sort of joked about how Hale is like one of the heroes of the movie. He's the one that sort of helps Moira Kelly's character realize like, hey, you're in love with this guy. Yeah. We should not get married. Four I'm play, calling off play. this engagement. Four play. Four <laughs> yes, exactly. So, so I'm, I'm curious, when you started writing this and thinking about the character of Hale, did you suspect that he was going to play such like a critical part in driving the plot along and helping uh, Moira Kelly's character realize I hey, mean, she loved this guy? Yeah, I mean, well, I don't know about that moment, but he's an absolutely necessary character in the archetypal, whether it's the Philadelphia story or his girl Friday or whatever. There's mm-hmm. always the guy she's going to marry. There's always yeah. the, the, Baxter. the guy. Who, yeah. 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 There's the always Baxter. that guy. Sometimes I think if I'd never met Cecil Mills, none of this ever would have happened. That's a big gift. I don't know about that. Cheers. Excuse me. Did you say Cecil Mills? Mm-hmm. That's my girlfriend. Really? Yeah. Who are you? I'm Elliot Sherman. Uh, Nothing happened, I swear. Oh, wait a minute, you're the Baxter. Oh, my, yeah, Cecil told me uh, all about you. Oh, it's nice to meet you. Oh. She did? Yeah. Cecil and I share everything, we have no secrets. Thank you so much for letting her crash your place the other night. And a bit of a lover's spat. (laughs) You know how that is, right? (laughs) I wasn't uh, reinventing cinema narrative here so he, he he needed to be there having him uh having him be the one who has the insight that's always a that's an easy gimme for screenwriters there's a couple things that are really easy gimmies for screenwriter if i say uh if i say oh my god uh you know ben ben is the fastest gun alive i mean he's just the fastest gun everyone knows he's the fastest gun oh my god and if i just say that four times and enough people cower when he walks into the saloon he's the fastest gun and it doesn't take too much to like, that's a gimme. It's also a gimme for a character who, if, if, the, if the musket's been packed tightly enough along the way, for them to have some kind of, you know, necessary insight at a certain point and go, you know what? Bing. And, and he, you know, so uh, it's, I mean, that's a little inside baseball, but it's, he, 
I mean, that scene could go a whole bunch of different ways, but the the most exciting way is for him to go, oh my God, this is what's going on. It's funny how it transpires because she's, what is it? She's like looking for a piece of jewelry in the hotel room. She's looking all over the place and he's got it. And yeah. he's holding it right in front of her, and she and he's like, "You looking for this, you know?" And it's like, "Wow, this guy really unlocks the whole her whole situation." She's like lost, and there's this obvious truth right beneath her nose. She can't see it. That is it. Call the front desk and get a room of your own. I knew this wouldn't work. Out. I can't even concentrate. I can't even find my lucky earring. Hello. This hasn't got anything to do with skating, does it? What does that mean? You're falling for him. What? Doug. Yes. You are. You're falling for him. Oh, that's crazy. You think so? You're nuts. Am I? Well, you see how we act together. Yes, I do. You never get along. I mean, we're always fighting. Foreplay. You know, I had to rewrite that because she that's when she broke her leg. And she's crawling around the floor because she has a huge cast on her leg. There's a whole bunch of scenes where she's injured. And I remember that. I'm not even sure if I was still in Toronto or if I got a phone call to like, what can we do? She's got to be in the hotel. She's got to be crawling around. I'll have her look for her lucky earring or some shit. So that's what we did that. Because <laughs> she's she's got a cast on her leg the whole time. Wow. She's yeah, that whole scene, she's on the floor. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. Wow. Because mm-hmm. yes. we knew that we already knew that she was, she did the entire bar dancing sequence on a, on a rolling dolly or a, uh, some kind of chair because she was injured for that scene, which yeah. is, you know, again, just another testament to uh, yeah. Warner's grit. Um, all right, uh, Tony, we have to ask you, this is a, a very important uh, question here. We need to know the moment that you conceived of the Pamchenko, a.k.a. the Pamchenko twist. Where were you? What time was it? Tell us everything about the creation of this truly Man. iconic sports history moment. I really, I mean, I don't, I couldn't possibly begin to remember <laughs> the, the moment I mean, um, um, uh, Come on, there was some controversy in the skating world in the late, in the early 90s. I'm not sure who it was, but there were a couple skaters who were trying some different things and there was some pushback on that. So I'm sure that was part of it in there. Um, I'm well pleased when I... It, because again, I didn't watch the film, but listening to it, I'm well pleased with the way the story reignites at different places. And it's pretty clear that by the time we get to this thing, oh my God, we've done everything we can do. But if we don't have a, a super weapon, uh, yeah. we can't it's win. And it's the also... Deus, deus ex machina of the film, really. Yeah, but the cool thing about it is to give it to, uh, you know, Roy Detrice's character. Oh my God, you know, because, I mean, you know, you basketball coaches, anything, I mean... How many coaches you talk to, they have all kinds of plans, but they, they don't get the team. They can't put the thing together, right? They can't make it work or they have a plan they don't want to make. You know, I've had this in my – I've been working on this forever, but if nobody can play the triangle, then nobody can play the triangle, right? I mean, it's – you know. And so the idea that this guy had had this thing and that – it what I liked about it, I think, was that it meant that he believed enough in them. My God, I waited my whole life to have two people who could do this. That's how mm. good you are. Like, it was his confidence in them in that weird way. To, but I don't remember the moment that I 
that I came up with. I mean, with. one of and our I favorite keep... lines, Legano ne Legano it gray area. That's <laughs> just gray beautiful. Area. It's like, you know, uh, I think that's a wonderful uh, a moment. And, you know, I, I'm curious, and I know I'm gonna, we're going to ask more questions about the film, but ultimately there was worry about the legality of this move, and we never really learned if they get the gold medal in the end. So I, I'm curious, like, uh, do you think this worked out for them in the end, uh, the gold medal scenario? I don't think they won the gold medal. No, I don't think they won the medal. Whoa. No, wow, you heard it here, folks. Bombshell. I don't know, but I don't think he slept with Laurie Pekarovsky back when you did. I don't think he slept Wait, with back in the... No, I think you know, he slept with re- you the first time in the... Uh, that Once. Was, I never... Yeah, I never... So the him. elevator ride was just an elevator ride. Just an elevator ride. ride. Just an elevator ride. You know, I, rewatching... I call that foreplay, actually. That yeah, that was foreplay. foreplay. I, foreplay. I agree. Okay. Rewatching last night, uh, I kind of agreed. I was like, you know what? I think I misread the sequence. I think the nap- actually... Because it's the, the napping line yeah. throws it throws it off. Where Moira, but I don't so know. The, if the time here. period Tony. is unclear. Tony, to give you a little insight on my end, it's a podcast. Sometimes I got to let these guys just yap, yap on, let them talk it out. So yeah. if they want to believe they hooked up well, twice, that's that's their business. Let them have you, fun. The double you tap guys went on. really far with Stolen Valor, though. That was really... Yes. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> honestly... Not my, not my idea. But not the intention, like but, you know... Honestly, no, yeah. I mean... the. I don't think he was intentionally doing it. We just it. go where the research leads us, okay? That's, that's <laughs> no, all. yeah. I've, I've learned something. No, yeah, we're think, just asking questions. We're yeah, we're literally questions. have dug into every single line, which <laughs> includes Anton Pemchenko's background, where, you know, one of our theories within the, uh, you know, myriad of episodes we have released is that Anton, um, you know, you mentioned specifically he was in the uh, Central Sports Club Army Moscow Red Army. What was your thought process like how did you there's like that's a huge character plot point but it's really small mention he's wearing this jacket throughout the film you know part of us read some of uh of anton's ability to mind control his skaters and mold them to his will had kind of like very kgb-esque uh ability to get his desired reaction (laughs) you know we're just kind of curious about honestly how those character decisions were made. Like that Anton is from the Central Sports Club, the Army of Moscow. Like what was your, your ability to know that? Well, I, I, the army and it must come from, it must come from fact. In fact, I believe that doesn't Stalin's son, uh, doesn't he, doesn't the entire hockey team, it's an army hockey team and don't they crash? Do you know, after the entire national Soviet hockey team was killed in an airplane crash in 1950, Stalin's son Vasily, the manager of the team, covered up the disaster and replaced everyone on the team to avoid his father's wrath. Stalin never noticed. I think the army was the central sports academy for most of the Soviet. I think the army, women's and men's, so uh, I think it was probably a super legit. I'd probably looked up some other coaches and probably, and this is again, pre-internet, you know, so the internet would have been very helpful on a movie like this, but this is all pre-internet. So it's talking to people and going back. I must've modeled it on some, on some, on some Russian uh, emigre uh, coaches that were there at that point. I mean, what's fun, one thing that's uh, interesting is that we originally had it set that the, the other team that injures Doug would be Russian. And then the Russian mm. skaters would come back at the end. That was the way the script always was designed. The Russian skaters and it. So it's Russia, Russia, Russia all the way through. Mm-hmm. Then we got into doing the script along the way. And it's like, wow, Perestroika is coming. And Russia's getting a lot warmer. And this is not looking so good. And we were like, okay, let's make it Romania. So the Romanian hockey team 
and a Romanian uh, figure skating pair. That'll be the competition. Then. And Romania, like Ceausescu goes sideways. They were yeah. like, all right, fuck this. <laughs> Let's do the one thing that we didn't want to do in the beginning because it was too hardcore. Now we're getting ready to make a movie. The one thing that we, we it was, it seemed too, we'll make it East Germany because East Germany is going nowhere. And so East well, Germany, West Germany, I believe, was the was the actual in the end. But yeah, we, oh, sorry, so we put sorry. East Germany in and we're about to start filming and the wall comes down. I'm Peter Jennings in New York. Just a short while ago, astonishing news from East Germany, where the East German authorities have said, in essence, that the Berlin Wall doesn't mean anything anymore. The wall that the East Germans put up in 1961 to keep its people in will now be breached by anybody one who wants to leave. The East German media chief in the Communist Party said a short while ago that anyone who wants to leave East Germany and go anywhere in the world is free to do so. Anyone who wants to leave East Germany and travel to the West and return will need a visa, but visas will be granted, it is said, immediately or at least urgently by police stations all over the country. It is perhaps the most important announcement made in Central Europe since the end of World War II, certainly since the wall went up in 1961. And we're like, oh my God, are we leading? Is the film leading history? So we ended up going back and making the hockey team West Germany and the, the Russians sure. the Russians, and, and we bagged the whole, uh, there were, I guess there would have there was probably a draft of the script where there was a real subplot where it was really like Doug's wanting to get, you know, revenge on the people who took his eyesight and whatever. That was probably a bad version wow. of that. But, but it, it shifted a lot. So, um, uh, yeah, Anton's backstory would have been probably modeled after some people I was talking to. Yeah, I mean, honestly, you have no idea how much this validates. Our families were concerned how much we were like, no, there's geopolitical <laughs> subtext here in this validate. The geopolitics of the cutting edge, you it don't validates. understand. It goes These deep. guys both have kids. They've neglected their, completely yes, neglected I'm telling my families. six-year-old about the geopolitics of, you know, the Soviet Union, uh, mid-90s, late-80s. Uh, no, but this is Listen, amazing. It wasn't a Cold War for Doug. He lost 18% of his peripheral vision, all right? <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> oh, yeah. Poor guy. Poor guy. I feel like we should we should talk, guys, about the end of the movie with the "I love you" scene, right, Christian? Mm-hmm. You, you described it, I think, as maybe one of the best "I love you" scene moments in the history of of cinema. Um, Tony, talk to us about like how you approached writing this scene. I think like it's it's crazy. It just it it seems like we've been on this track, you know, for an hour and thirty minutes. These two Olympians competing for gold, and then there's this high stakes moment where Doug f- suddenly has to confess his love. Kate, maybe I wasn't ready. Maybe maybe you didn't give me much of a chance. Maybe I don't know. I I just I just. Mosley Dorsey, one minute. Kate, somewhere in the middle of all this, I fell in love with you. You may take the option. I'm saying I love you. I'm saying it out loud. It sort of broke my brain, and it feels perfect. You know, he's he's saying, I need you, I need you. Kate is crying. You know, we're going to do the Pamchenko. Can you talk to us a little bit about just writing that scene and, uh, and approaching it? You know you have to go, you have to get there. I mean, I know where I have to go. I mean, you have to go all the way there. I mean, uh, I mean... If you if the script is really good, every scene in the movie ends up sort of being about the the movie. You know, you don't have anything where every scene is kind of like about the movie, and and that's where this movie's going. It's a movie about people that, uh, and and it's funny. 
I didn't think about it. I didn't think about it. I haven't thought about it that much before, but I did another movie called Duplicity, which was about spies in love. And it's like, how do you, the whole thing was how do scorpions fuck was really our, that was our like mental <laughs> attitude. Like, how do you, how do you, and how do you, and, and, and it also has a very, it has a very, not, it's not a comp, but it has a very, uh, there's a parallel scene in that movie where the two of them, uh, where they finally confess their love to each other. And, 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 and how do spies, how would people who are based on deception, I mean, you have to get there. It has to go there. And it has to come from him, really, in a way. Uh, he has to, I mean, she's, she's, kind of, she's kind of set the stage in that chateau the night before. She kind of burned her whole right. life down. Um, right, the clock was know, ticking. So and I don't yeah, feel, had, he I'm had out of here. Yeah. I just listened to that before, so I don't. I don't entirely agree. I don't think she's indicting Doug. I don't think Doug's a co-conspirator in her, in her, uh, in her tragedy. There, I think it's, uh, and I'm not even really sure that it's Anton because I think Anton's as much a victim as anybody else. I mean, I think it's the father, and mm. and and uh, Jack, and she's that's she's kind of really, where I was at. Yeah. Yeah, and also people do things to themselves. I mean, Jack and, and Rick really is also to Yeah, me. exactly. And um, and also, I mean, look, uh, at a certain point, I don't know what the age is, whatever, but she's not a she's not an unintelligent woman. And at a certain point, there is some level of self responsibility. So I think that's what's good about the scene is that she's not she's not saying you did this to me. She's she's saying, you know, you set the stage and and I let it happen, and and that that makes it more profound. I think you came every day and you skated. This must have been like a nightmare for you. I didn't know it was gonna end up like this. I'm sorry. But she's kind of gone a long way there to saying, she's so sympathetic to him. My God, you put all this work in and you did all this stuff and we did all this stuff to you. She's kind of saying I love you in a weird way in that moment. I think. Yep. So mm. that it really comes back on him. And uh, But you have to get there, right? You, you got to mm. get there. And again, none of it is possible without Hale. I just want to point that yes. out. The real hero. <laughs> that the is, true this hero. Is about of the film. This is a Four film play. about Hale. Four play. Four play. Um, All right. So speaking, you mentioned Jack. You mentioned Jack yeah. and Rick. Ben, cue us up here. I was just going to say real quick on on Jack. He's he hasn't he's not someone we've talked a lot about, but what an incredible character. What an incredible actor, Terry O'Quinn. Um, yeah. But uh, we're just curious. You know, we've we've uh, had we've thrown around some some theories of our own on the podcast about uh, Jack's backstory. I'm, I'm curious if you had any conception when writing the script of the source of his wealth, you know, his whole his whole uh, kind of history. Um, you know, he's got kind of a, a DuPont uh, vibe. Uh, could could, could <laughs> possibly know, be an international arms dealer. What was the equivalent of a hedge fund asshole back then? Mm. I don't know. I mean, yeah. this was... Yeah. You know, I attended bar all the way through the 80s. So I got to see the Reagan years in New York uh, City. So I just yeah. like, I served drinks to all the bros as they were in the bro feeding farm uh, becoming mm. this thing. So, I mean, they're interchangeable. I don't, <laughs> international arms dealer. I don't know whether he has the ingenuity <laughs> for that. I mean, I don't know. He's been rich for a long time though, right? Don't underestimate rich. him, yeah. Jimmy. Yep, do not underestimate this man. He was rich when he was young because he hooked up with some, you know, hot ice capade skater, right? And, That's and whatever. right. Whatever. Yeah, so he's, I don't know. Uh, I don't know where it comes from, but I would say money business. He's seen, I think he's in the money business, which is, mm, I don't think he yeah. can make, I don't think he makes anything. 
What better money business than war profiteering, Tony? <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know, anyways, yeah. but we Definitely have a few, money, a though, few yeah. quotable lines that we have to, you know, address. I know we've kind of <laughs> talked a lot about the beats of the film and, and we've kind of hit the end, but there are lines within that we loved. I think um, one that we'll get to the one that everyone talks about, but uh, we personally loved when Kate refers to Doug as Ramjet the Rookie. I personally was like, hmm. we had to stop the film and be like, Ramjet the Rookie, what a specific reference that is. Uh, we did not know off the top of our head what Ramjet referred to. It turns out that is a propulsive um, rocket that requires assistance in taking <laughs> off. Uh, you made us Google Ramjet. Well, you made me. us Google it. And, you know, um, I'm curious, like, where some of these, do you recall where Ramjet the Rookie came to you? Well, you're going to love this because you didn't go far enough. Um, and you can pull the clip. Uh, Roger Ramjet was a cartoon when I was a kid. Roger Ramjet and his eagles fighting for our freedom. Fly through in and outer space, not to join them, but to be them. Roger Ramjet, he's our man, hero of our nation. For his adventures, just be sure and stay tuned to the station. Roger Ramjet, he's our man, hero of our nation. For his adventures, just be sure and stay tuned to the station. Roger Ramjet, he's our hero. There it is. There's a whole, we got to go back in, folks. You can put the jingle in there. Roger Ramjet, yes. he's our hero. There's a whole thing. That was a cartoon. Tony producing our podcast for us in real time. Really appreciate that. It's a good note. Thank you, Tony. I tip my cap to you. So a Roger cartoon... Ramjet cartoon reference not a propulsive rocket assisted well add this to our corrections episode well roger ramjet <laughs> yes. must be named after the ramjet yeah so yes yeah. Yeah. roger ramjet yeah. it still made sense even without knowing the the cartoon reference but uh Very... what a what a incredible barb from from kate the queen of barbs yes <laughs> another personal favorite i think uh the the movie starts on a, on a line that to me just sets the whole tone for absolutely everything where they crash into each other at the calgary olympics they're running to get to the uh, arena to do the 88 um hockey event and figure skating and she gets knocked over what are you just go up to the ice just go up to the ice what does this go up to the ice is that all you have to say? What were you raised in, a barn? Honey, where I'm from, we stand for the national anthem. Honey, where I'm from, we stand for the national anthem. And honestly, it sets the whole tone for, like, who this guy is, what this movie, what we're in for. Incredible scene. Do you, do you have any memory of when you were writing that line that it was going to just be so iconic? No, but no, but it's a, it's sort of a pre-MAGA line, isn't it? I mean, it's pre-MAGA. Um, oh, man. Yeah, I'm sure Mayhorn is hard red. Um, Ooh, probably. Yeah. The, the penalty, penalty box. Penalty box definitely yeah, go, go back not a lot of, not a lot of Clinton voters in the penalty box, box yeah. I, don't, I don't think. Yeah, yeah. no. Um, uh, again, it's like the I love you. You've you got to, I mean, I got I to gotta put them together because they're not going to get together for a long time now. So I got to put them together. And I got to be a strict constructionist and I got to stay on this job. And this is what real screenwriters do. And I'm going to make it so that I do, I'm going to be proper. And the proper thing to do is to do it that way. And I don't remember coming up with a line other than I have to have something, something that sets them apart. Yeah. It's a, it's a meet cute, but it's, it's like, then totally forgotten like it's it's like a fake out first meeting like they don't like neither of one of them it's never referenced before 
They don't, they don't remember it, recall. do they? They, they don't know. They don't even ever, remember it, which I yeah, actually it's never love. On, which I love. It spe- yeah. I think, like, you know, a lot of films would probably be like, oh, yeah, the guy I knocked into. But in real life, that happens and you absolutely forget it. Like, it's not a big enough thing to come, come back. And I, I really yeah. enjoy that about that moment. Or he would say the line again later on and she would go, oh, my God, you're the guy who did. No, yes. I don't think we ever did that. I don't think we ever did that. But there are a few very good callbacks in the movie, like, you know, kick a little ass and all that stuff. Um, but, um, all right, I'll, I'll do the honors here. We have to talk about Topic. What do you do, Cheryl, once a week? Is that an invitation? Douglas, Ben needs more, eh? Good. Hey, good. Put, put, put. Oh, shit. Topic. Did you have any idea that this would become, you know, the iconic uh, It's your line? legacy. I mean, like literally as a, as a little kid, I remember <laughs> running around the house with my two older sisters just singing Topic to each other as we did our daily chores. Like, you know, uh, did, did, did you know when you wrote that scene, like this is this is what kind of magic you you had, you had uh, tapped into? I, 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 I don't remember that, but I do remember seeing some dailies. I remember the first time they did that and watching dailies where she does like the first peekaboo into the camera like you know her little topic thing and going oh this is this is strong (laughs) but no but i was in a i was in a shoe store uh buying sneakers for my daughter and she must have been about eight or nine or something like that and i think she she knew the movie a little bit or she'd seen the movie nine or ten something like that and i'm not sure she was like really impressed with me that much at all or anything (laughs) whatever you know your kids are and these kids were buying sneakers and one of them was going around and one of the kids said toe pick and they all left my dog. It was one of the most impressive things. My dog was like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Did you just hear what they just said? Oh my God. They know your, they know your movie. I was like, yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, so, uh, I don't remember. No, man, you're going, this is, this movie's a long time ago. I don't remember writing it. No. Poor guy just um, wanted to write a movie 30 years ago. He didn't realize he was going to be dragged on a podcast and interrogated about it. No, it's, yeah. no I mean, it's it's a million scenes later, but um, but it is, I guess I learned something really powerful there. I mean, and that's a good one because it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't get on your nerves somehow. You know, sometimes people have a line and you, and, or you see people try to put a line in something and try to make a tagline or something it, but it, it doesn't seem to get on anybody's nerves too much yeah i think i think mm-hmm. you kind of brought up an interesting point too is that this was 30 years uh, ago um you have obviously gone on to do many incredible projects do you have a recollection of uh, this was your first produced screenplay i imagine you had a lot of lessons learned from when you left that project to go into your next one what was the biggest lesson you learned once it was done the film is made and you go, ooh, I won't do that again on my next project, or I, or I would replicate this again. Uh, I'm just kind of curious. What did you really take away from it? Well, I really learned how to how I really learned hearing actors speak your words is just there's nothing more educational than that. I'm going to go on from that movie, and the next movie I'll have made is called uh, Dolores Claiborne. I think I think Dolores is next, and when we do Dolores, that's the masterclass for me, and because. It's a director who shoots an incredible amount of footage. And we had a very communal Robert Altman-esque kind of filmmaking experience in Nova Scotia where we watched dailies every night. And so I spent night after night after night watching my own dialogue come back at me from a million different angles going like, why did I write that? Why did I write that? Why? Writing less uh, uh, is, is key. 
writing things that are bulletproof and actor proof so that even a bad actor can't hurt them, you know, uh, the things that make you cringe, uh, but, but really how to make scenes, uh, you're watching, I'm watching myself here on this thing, how, cause this job is essentially two. One is what's the idea and can I deliver a, an idea, a full idea that's emotionally potent in the, in the time allowed, but the bulk of the job is scene writing. What you do is write scenes and, uh, and so this is there's a lot of different kinds of scenes in uh, in cutting edge, um, and so it was a real sampler of that. I don't, I mean, you're watching me figure it out, um, and I didn't get fired. I I stayed all the way through, all the way through. In fact, Paul and I went on to do another movie together after that. I didn't get credit. We went to he, when he did the air up there at the, the basketball movie. How you doing, Jimmy Dolan, St. Joe's College. John Boy. Great to meet you. Yeah, oh, yeah. I went. I, yeah, I went to Africa with with Paul, and that. Uh, I mean, it didn't turn out to be the greatest film, but uh, but it was an amazing experience, and I love I love working with Paul. And Paul taught me a lot. Man, I just it's just uh, it's the beginning of a very long journey. Yeah. All right, a couple couple last quick questions for yeah, you. Yeah, sure. Uh, one. Um, the steakhouse in Toronto where the engagement is revealed. That's High Steakhouse. High Steakhouse. High Steakhouse. A, a proud non-sponsor, but possible sponsor. Highs, we want you to be a part. Have you ever eaten at Highs? If you have, what did you eat? What did you order? What Can, can you give us any sort of insight to the High Steakhouse experience? I am. I am. I hope Highs is still there. I absolutely it is. Toronto. I <laughs> Accepting on, reservations. I plan on going there for the first time the next time I visit Toronto. I have never you heard it. There. It's still there. Please huh? tell us how it is. Try you heard it here, nuts. folks. Yep. We've heard the garlic knots are wonderful. Okay. <laughs> the garlic no, no, bread. I've never been. No. Uh, yeah, for our audience in Toronto, next time Tony Gilroy is in town, dinner is on you. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Champagne yeah, and caviar for everyone. Exactly. <laughs> um, Ben, final question for Tony. Um, yeah, if you'll indulge me, I have a very s- silly and stupid theory to run by you. I don't know if you if you listened to the episode where I think it was maybe Christian that, that came up with this, but we have a theory. Uh, so this is this is called the helmet mix-up theory. Um, as you know, uh, Doug, you know, used to have a uh, second helmet before every game that he would vomit into uh, because of his nerves. So we have a theory that posits that Doug accidentally puked into his game helmet mm-hmm. before the uh, USA versus West Germany game at the 1988 Calgary Olympics, mm-hmm. which forced him to use his puke helmet, uh, which is essentially really just a you know plastic, plastic ice cup. cream bowl sh- shaped like a hockey helmet with minimal padding or strength. Uh, he had to wear that one in the game, and of course we all saw the you know, what, what transpired and the uh, minimal protection that, that that helmet provided. So I'm wondering if you have any comment, uh, if you can confirm or deny this uh, helmet. The puke helmet theory. theory. It's... Just admit it's <laughs> true. That's all you have to do. The grassy knoll. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, um, I, I think this is a really good question for DB. Uh, I don't really mm. know what they... Uh, the guy who did the costumes for this, William Ivy Long, it's the only right. movie he'll ever do. Yeah, I don't think he does another movie. He becomes right. the number one costume designer on Broadway for 30 years. I mean, he's Correct. won more Tony Awards. So uh, I, I think maybe, um, uh, and I see I see William, I see him around every now and then at the party. I saw him a couple months ago. I don't have, I, I, I'm willing to go with your theory, though. Oh, I'm going to go with your theory. Thank you. There we go. You That's heard it here. Confirmed. 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 Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm willing <laughs> 
I'm willing to go with you, Terry. I'm willing to go with you. Yeah. Thank you, Tony. Right. Thank I, you. I, I have one. That. I have one other. Uh, you know, now that we are dumping our, our theories out there, and Tony hasn't disconnected <laughs> from the call, I have one last one. It is about Rick Tuttle. Rick Tuttle. Uh, Kate's coach comes out of the woodwork later. We've seen him right. early in the film screaming at her, absolutely tearing her confidence down. Uh, eventually, he comes out of the woodwork to come back, and basically, he just shows up at her facility to be like, Kate, did it really have to? This is rock bottom for you. I don't want you to be embarrassed, essentially. I thought you'd retired. I changed my mind. You know what I think is the saddest thing about sports people who stay too long at the party what are you doing here rick i'm saying i'd like to see you go out a champion that's my plan if you wanted to skate so badly why didn't you come to me it doesn't seem like he asks her to come back i mean he does say come back to my team but it doesn't feel like he means it was this psychological um is he trying to play her because he's coaching Brian and Lori at this point and is just trying to totally. get in her head and destroy her confidence? Is this confirmed? Absolutely. Yeah, it's oh a total mindfuck. Total headfuck, yeah. I mean, I, I my assumption is he had to remember the code and the gate and everything. Like, how did he get in there? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. he's... This is Jack doesn't want him there. <laughs> no, he's that. No, man, it's a head fuck. Yeah. Amazing. So, I mean, uh, yeah. Uh, does he does he instruct Lori to sleep with Doug? Be honest or, about or it. Or do you think that Lori does that on her own under uh, of you know her own free will? Yeah, that's Lori going for it. I don't think. Yeah. It. Is I think Lori just being a rogue agent. I don't know whether. Well, well, you guys, wait, I have to separate because you went farther. You had you actually had like. You had like Yeltsin sending her there. Uh, <laughs> so you did listen. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, no, maybe. Uh, I sure uh, Rick probably thinks it's a great idea. Yeah, yeah that's probably. I'm sure he has no objections. Yeah, he doesn't <laughs> mind, does he? Yeah, yeah. 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 Whatever happens, mind. happens. Yeah. No, he yeah. doesn't mind. No, she was yeah. pretty yeah. cool. No, yeah, yeah. All right, we're gonna wrap up. I, I know you have tons of stuff to do. Obviously, <laughs> uh, the the writers are in the midst of labor unrest. I just want to say we stand in solidarity with the WGA. I'm a member of SAG. Thank you. And um, we Absolutely. so appreciate you taking the time. And we um, we hope the writers get a great deal and they're they par- will. Uh, they're paid fairly. Um, they will. And yeah. That's Amen. it. Viva la causa. All right. Well, stay crazy. I don't. Uh, I hope your families can accept all this. As this time <laughs> next year, when you're on episode thirty, uh, much like winning a gold medal, this is all validation that we can bring back to our families. Absolutely. And, uh, We're say working towards all, the 2026 episodes the of the Cutting Edge. You know, yep. the two years in absolute solitude in Greenwich, Connecticut, were all worth it. Yeah. <laughs> Once we will, I mean, we're going to have to do a screening of the film, whether it's we in New York or L.A. So we'll we'll have you, you know, you'll we'll let you me. know. You can invite me. Yeah. Okay. We'll let, let you know. know. You'll but certainly it, get an uh, invite. Truly an honor to talk to you. And thank you for indulging what is arguably a crazy um, passion project of ours. Uh, it's very nice of you to take the time to answer our wild theories, <laughs> including everything yeah. really related to this being a, you know, a KGB conspiracy. <laughs> but no, we just genuinely appreciate it. Most amusing. Stay crazy. Your talent is only matched by your patience. Uh, mm-hmm. Thank you, Tony, so much. <laughs> Thanks, Tony. Take care. My pleasure. You've been listening to Switch. 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 Swit